Hey, Fall of a Titan fans. If you're looking for more sports meets true crime stories, we've got something we think you might like. My name is John Gonzalez, host of Sports Illustrated Weekly. On our podcast, we go deep into the most fascinating stories in sports like this one we're about to play. We'll be dropping some of our favorite true crime stories in this feed coming up. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to Sports Illustrated Weekly, available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll also put a link in the description of this episode. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the story. We are getting guys from New York and Philadelphia and Los Angeles to come to Lawrence, Kansas. Is it because they like the wheat fields or is it because they're getting something? Whether or not college athletes should be paid, it's already happening. Merle Code was once an employee for both Adidas and Nike, and part of his job was helping ensure star prospects and their families were financially compensated. And on that point, Code has no regrets. Because while some consider those methods unethical, Code maintains it's simply a part of the business. I do not have to abide by NCAA rules. That's part of the pitch. Because I'm arm's length away. I'm not a part of that NCAA system. I don't have to follow the guidelines. For his actions, Code is looking at nine months in prison. I discussed his situation with Sports Illustrated senior writer Pat Forty, who interviewed Code at length for his podcast, Yahoo's College Football Inquirer. All right, Pat, let's start with how Code ended up getting arrested. Tell us what happens to Code on the morning of September 26th, 2017. Yeah, so like 6.30 in the morning, he hears the front door being knocked or doorbell rang. I think he said that his wife was in the shower getting ready for work. He goes downstairs, opens the door, and there's, he said, up to 20 federal agents on his lawn or, you know, right there at the doorway, guns drawn facing him. And he's wondering what the heck just happened. And they're saying they're putting him under arrest for bribery, fraud, money laundering. And he had no idea what they're talking about. And then they played him the audio excerpts of some of the wiretapped phone conversations he had had with some of the other co-conspirators in this deal. And he began to figure it all. He still thought it was just a complete mistake. Like, how could I possibly be charged here? But it became very real when they put the handcuffs on him and put him in a car and took him and booked him that morning. According to Code, he was merely one part of a larger system. But Pat, he told you that compensating kids is considered standard practice and that basically all the big programs do it. Do you believe him? Sure, I believe him. Yeah, I I mean, look, this had been an open secret for a long time. This was just the most detail and acknowledgement of somebody like, yeah, I paid guys. But I think everybody knew certainly that the best players were getting paid. They were being taken care of, almost all of them, by the time they even got to college, had agents already. Maybe they hadn't signed anything formally, but they were receiving kickbacks from agents. But yeah, they, I, I think that this was the way basketball had gotten things done. And now we just got to find out a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty of how it happened. So, I mean, I would say if, if your school were, was signing blue chip players in the last 
20 years, they were probably all getting paid. So Code said to you that the feds weren't really after him so much as they were after these big high-profile names like Sean Miller and Rick Pitino. And to make that happen, they wanted him to wear a wire. They wanted whoever else they thought I was going to be able to provide them. And I was like, listen, man, I'm not doing that. That's just not who I am. And we know that Rick Pitino ended up getting moved out at Louisville, but no criminal charges against him. Pitino recently tweeted about this. He said, for the 10th time, I have no idea who Merle Code is and why he's using me and others to be relevant. What do you make of Patino's denial? It's strategic as much as anything because he doesn't have to know who Merle Code is for Merle Code to still be telling the truth. So what Rick says about, okay, I don't know Merle Code doesn't mean that he didn't know that there was a deal going on. It's just uh, a, a, right. a well-worded statement from Rick. Yeah, there are degrees of separation here where there's quote-unquote, plausible deniability, but everybody understands what's happening behind the scenes. And and Code, in his book, there's so many revelations like that, and, and also in the conversation with you on your podcast, where he said he doesn't really believe there's such a thing as a clean program. And he outlines a conversation between a Kansas assistant coach talking about trying to recruit Zion Williamson, that the family wanted money and housing. Williamson ended up going to Duke, but Bill Self, like Patino, denies any knowledge of an off-books deal for Zion. And Code writes in his book, not only that he knew about this whole thing, but that the higher-ups at Kansas, who gave Self a lifetime contract, knew. So this really goes beyond just the coaching level, right? I mean, a whole bunch of administrators are complicit in this. Yeah. I mean, in a larger sense, everybody knew knows what's going on. You guys have got to help us get the top guys. You guys do your thing. We're fine with it. I have to pretend I don't know what's going on, but they all know. And then, of course, self's bosses certainly know, okay, if you're getting the top classes at Kentucky, if you're getting the top classes at Duke, and so on and so forth, you should probably have a pretty good idea how those guys are coming. When he says that there's no such thing as a clean program, some people go, well, wait a minute. Duke and Coach K have this reputation. Are we to believe that Duke and Coach K are just like everybody else? Yes, we are. <laughs> we absolutely are. I'm not sure the program was built that way in the 80s when Coach K first got it going, but they were getting the top players. And we, as stated, the top players were, by and large, not going anywhere for free for a long time, for decades, really. And there are other trappings along the way that would not pass the smell test. One of the first being that, and it's mentioned in in Merle's book, that Zion's dad is asking Merle for $100 to buy groceries because he doesn't have enough money to feed the family. I literally came home and told my wife, hey, I went to the ATM. Lee was asking for some grocery money because he was out of work. And I gave him $100, $100 of my money, no problem. Adidas wants to give a kid and his family $100,000. A couple of years later, when Zion goes to Duke, they move into a half-million-dollar house in a luxury subdivision. I've driven by the house. I've seen it. It's a nice place. When families are suddenly getting up and moving across the country with their child who's going to be in school for one year, there's probably a deal going on. Mike Krzyzewski's had a great career, but if anybody out there thinks that he is Ivory Tower Mike, you're probably wrong. 
I found it really interesting that the pushback wasn't so much about this happening at all. It was that, hey, we want it to happen for us too. There's a conversation about Billy Donovan when he was at Florida and he was mad about this whole thing, but mostly he was mad that Nike was catering to Kentucky and that they weren't spreading the wealth around. And Code said that Donovan threatened to call Nike president Phil Knight personally because he said this stuff is getting out of hand. So it wasn't so much that Billy Donovan was mad that kids were getting paid. It was that, hey, we're not getting our share of these big recruits. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And that's one thing, you know, Code goes into some pretty good detail on that of it being a little bit exhausting trying to maintain good relations with all these people, but having a, a distinct pecking order. Nike has a lot of schools that it outfits. Adidas has a lot of schools that they outfit, but somebody's got to come first. And if you're not the school that's coming first, then you, you you do get a little bit angry. And I think there was definitely a shift. I mean, Billy Donovan went through a period where he was getting all the big time recruits, you know, in the late sure. 90s, early 2000s. And then Kentucky reestablished itself rather dramatically with John Calipari. It was just an ungodly haul of big time players right away as soon as he got there. And I'm sure Nike was integrally involved in a lot of that. I find it really interesting how Code sees himself fitting into this underground economy and the morality attendant to that, where he says, you know, there was a five-figure payment to Anthony Davis in Kentucky, and he didn't see that as a bad thing because he said AD was generating tens of millions of dollars for everybody but himself. Here's Davis. And on your pod, he told you that he's not going to apologize for doing his job and challenging a corrupt system. So Code isn't very apologetic about this, right? He he sees himself as part of a system that functions the way it, it functions and that it's a capitalist society and there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. This was about me trying to help and assist families in need, for the most part, to try to change their station in life because the system didn't treat them fairly. So let's create a system where it does. Code, I mean, makes it very clear that he thinks that the NCAA rules are outdated, unfair, and he's pro players getting whatever they can, however they can. And yeah, the the Anthony Davis anecdote, which is a really interesting one, he goes into great detail on that. This was one where he had gotten to know Anthony Davis when he was younger, coming up in Chicago, and got to know the family. And so Code's there on the ground floor with him. He goes to, to Kentucky. And then the, during his freshman year, around Thanksgiving, he said that uh, Anthony Davis's dad lost his job and he got word from somebody else at Nike that, that they were in a bit of a pinch and could they help him out until he goes pro. And so Code went to a former assistant athletic director at Kentucky and says, hey, is there anything we can do here? And they're like, yeah, they put together this scheme to market a t-shirt with the famed unibrow of Anthony Davis. And it sells like wildfire, as you would expect in Kentucky with the most rabid fan base in the country and a team that is, you know, has a chance to win a national championship. And so they, they the immediate proceeds become $10,000 cash that is passed along to Merle and Merle hands it to Anthony Davis's mother before Kentucky plays Indiana. December 10th, 2011 in Bloomington. Wow. I mean, that's how the deal got done in, in extreme detail. So he didn't end up cooperating with the feds. He didn't wear a wire. Why is he talking now? Uh, he's talking now. It, it's interesting because I think he, he wants to say 
how the system works, but he also really wants to say that this is this is the unjust way that the, the federal crime and punishment system works and how I got ensnared in it, and that what I was doing could not possibly be construed as defrauding these schools. And so I think he's taking issue with the schools and he's taking issue with the feds uh, while also pulling back the curtain on this is how the underground economy works. And yes, it's against NCAA rules or, or was, really still is, even with the name, image, and likeness evolution that we've had, but it shouldn't be against the law. And how did this happen? You know, and why were the the everybody that was punished in this but one person, all black men, and one white guy? I, I've grown up a black man my whole life, so I've seen a whole lot of shit that just wasn't like. Jim is, you know, a good guy, right. and he was doing his job, and he got thrown into so that so that we couldn't come back and say it was anything racial. He was the lone white man that had the song, and. The stated intent by the feds is that they wanted to they wanted but to bust big names in this. They wanted to bust Rick Pitino. They wanted to bust Bill Self at Kansas. They wanted to bust Sean Miller at Arizona. But then they didn't go get him. Whether they just got scared they couldn't pin enough on them or what, but they curtailed the investigation, went after the low-hanging fruit they knew they could get, and that's who it turned out to be. Guys like Merle Code, who nobody had really heard of. People in basketball certainly knew him. Outside of that, nobody knew who he was. But he was a guy that helped make the underground economy work. Eight of the nine men charged and convicted in the scandal are black men. And the high-profile white coaches, while some of them lost their jobs, they're not going to prison. So what does Code have to say about all that? Oh, Code's mad, you know, about that. He understood, first of all, the absurdity of them being charged with trying to defraud the schools. And secondly some of the actions from those schools and those coaches. I mean, like Jim Gatto was sued by Kansas for like a million dollars. Jim Gatto makes a good living, but like a low six-figure living, maybe $100,000, $125,000. You're getting sued for a million dollars by a school you were trying to help. But all of a sudden, they turn yeah. around and frame you as the bad guy because the feds did it. I think that sort of mentality really made Code angry. And seeing these coaches just completely lie about what their involvement was, according to code, to distance themselves from these people who had been working with them hand in hand. You know, and suddenly they're like, oh, no, no, I, we didn't have anything to do with those guys. This system is set up so that black, head co black assistant coaches go into black neighborhoods with black kids and bring them to the white coaches and white schools so the white folks can make money. That's how the system works. They criminalize black men. Because if that's not the case, then you see Sean Miller or Will Wade or Rick Pacino or anybody else involved in this go to jail like me. Because they have monies, you know, and they're, they're financially stable and able to fight this and stretch this thing out. And we, we don't have their financial backing. And yeah, we're the ones that take the brunt, brunt of the, the government's weight. So Code is mad. He's going to prison for something that he finds, as you mentioned, to be completely hypocritical and unjust. And he writes in his book that he could create a real problem for college coaches and athletic directors and recruits in power conferences. And he says he has a massive amount of evidence that was never presented to the jury, but that bringing that out now would serve no purpose. Do you believe him that he has all this evidence? And if he does, why is he sitting on it? Well, yeah, and that's my one place where I have a little bit of a problem with Code and his book, because I think you should bring forth that evidence. Let's tell the truth. You you know the truth, tell the truth. And yes, I believe he absolutely has the evidence. I mean, I know 
that there was a great deal of frustration from him and the other defendants about the hours of wiretaps and the mountain of text messages and other documentation that was not allowed into court that was going to be their whole argument for like, hey, I promise you we weren't defrauding these schools. They wanted us to do this. In many instances, these coaches are actually asking for the assistance, asking for the help. So how can I then defraud the same people that are asking for the help in turn having $190 million or $160 million or $80 million relationship that they then renegotiate after we're convicted? The prosecutors were blocking that, didn't want the evidence admitted. The judge upheld it for whatever reason. And so it was never heard. But I, my point, yeah, I was like, Merle, if you're, in a, if you're in possession of those things, I'd sure like to see it. I'd sure like to hear it. And I think it would then paint the full picture of what everyone knew and what was going on. So why he's not coming out with that, I asked him on our podcast. A lot of these black assistant coaches will be the guys who take the brunt of the heat or whatever it is I've got to say. Right. And I realized that. And he didn't want to see that. But, you know, in my mind... I, I just wonder if he's holding that still as a potential hammer over some people's heads, some some very rich people's heads who have a lot to lose in this. Yeah, in the interim, as he's weighing what to do with the evidence that he may or may not have, how much prison time is he looking at? Nine months, although, you know, I think that could be reduced uh, for good behavior. He's in a prison in South Carolina and... You know, on one hand, you say, oh, nine months, but hey, that's nine months of your life. You're in prison, man. I I don't think anybody would want to spend those nine months or even if it ends up being eight or seven and a half. Uh, And then you come out and as you said, this is a guy like he's the son of a former judge in South Carolina. Uh, He was a successful college player. He played professionally. He had a good professional reputation. And now he's he's got a felony on his uh, record for life that he has to deal with. There's so much going on here. Just an incredible job by you on the reporting. We'll keep an eye on it. If there's further developments, hopefully we'll have you back. Pat Forty, thank you so much for this. My pleasure, John. Thank you. 